0: Well, good morning, church. So, the last time I was up here speaking, we spoke about division in the church, which was fun, but we made it through it. And so, I'm excited to come back this week and we get to talk about unity, uh, which is exciting. Uh, and now, as I talked about last time, uh, unity in the church has been something that's been hard to achieve. Uh, In fact, if we look at the history of the church, you know, our church specifically is part of something called the Restoration Movement. Now, this took place over 200 years ago now, um, but one of the large purposes of this movement was to try and gain unity within the church as a whole. Now there are some great things accomplished through this movement, but unfortunately they were not able to achieve unity. And in fact, because, based off this movement and some different things that happened and church splits, uh, we actually have dozens of more denominations now than we previously did. Um, but their intent was there, but dealing with humans as we are, um, that means we're also dealing with imperfection. And that makes unity difficult. But what we see in Scripture and what we'll be looking at today is is that there is a great importance given to it. And so I think it's something worth continuing to strive towards that we can be as unified as possible. Um, And so we'll be looking at this idea of how do we do that this morning. But so to start off, I want to talk about something that I enjoy, uh, and that's basketball. I, I enjoy basketball, I enjoy playing basketball. Uh, the last couple of years, I've had the, the privilege to help coach basketball over at the Whiting School, um, but over the last several years, I, I've kind of had a frustration with, with the NBA, and this frustration has become their focus on the three-point shot. Now, I don't know how much you guys know about basketball, um, but outside, you know, have the, you have the big arc, and if you shoot from outside of that, you get three points. It's one more. Um, but they, you know, you have these NBA players who have been, become extremely good at this. Uh, you have players like James Harden or Steph Curry, uh, and pretty much anywhere outside that line, they can shoot and they can probably make the shot. And so this has revolutionized the game and it has changed the game. But here, here's the frustration. As a guy who coaches high school basketball, you don't have players who can do that. (laughs) And so you have all these students and all these kids who all they want to do is work on three-point shots all the time. And it becomes extremely frustrating because, you know, you have uh, these people who it's like, we need you to do for our team what we have designated your role to be. You know, we can't have you shooting three-point shots all the time. If You know, for the most part, if you have a good high school team, you probably have maybe one to two players who can successfully achieve good three-point shots and make it worthwhile for your team. Otherwise, you're wasting possessions. And so getting students and players to understand that is hard. And so you might end up with, you know, As we have dealt with, you're one guy who's over six feet tall, and all he wants to do is shoot three-pointers, and it's like, dude, you're not going to make this. We need you to go on the inside where where we actually need you, please. Um, And so because of this obsession with these three-point shots, it has become increasingly important to teach students about their role on the team. Like, hey, we have you playing a position for a reason. Not everyone's role is to shoot three-pointers. I know for me, when I played in high school, I had to learn I am not the big guy dominating by the hoop. I know that surprises you, but (laughs) that wasn't my role. Now, there are certain skills and certain lessons that I've learned because of sports. Sports. And I think one of the most important ones is this, is this idea of knowing uh, what your role is on a team. Now, this comes into play in a lot of different areas in life. When you're at work, you are hired to do a specific job. You have a specific role that you were hired for. For Sammy and I, before we even got married, we sat down and we walked through the different chores and the different responsibilities that would come in our house. And we said, hey, who wants to take what? I, for my main chore, chose dishes. I chose poorly. Uh, But as we look at this, the same is true in the church. There are different roles, and it's through people understanding their role in the church that we are able to find unity. And so Paul talks about this extensively uh, through the gifts that we receive from the Spirit. Now, I don't know about if you've ever thought about this when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, but have you ever thought about how cool that is? God has empowered us for the task of ministry. He's literally given us supernatural abilities to accomplish the mission that he has given us. And so I feel like at times we kind of gloss over this fact because, you know, it's not like God gave us these comic book level powers like flight or invisibility, you know, or things like that. But we need to understand that these gifts that he has given us are special. And so before I spoil too much, uh, let's get into the scripture for this morning. And so if you would, you can turn to 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll be starting in verse 12. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. So starting there in verse 12, it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, "I, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then continuing on. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that it lacked so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. There are so many different things in this passage that are just amazing. Uh, You know, I have a cousin who, as she reads scripture, she says, oh man, I found this gold nugget. And you know, I feel like there's so many different parts in this that are gold nuggets. Uh, But what I want to focus in on is that Paul is saying that no part of the body is more important than the other, right? And this is something that is hard to understand in our world today. People tend to think, right, if I'm not a leader, I'm not important. Going back to basketball, you know, most kids, they want to be the point guard. They want to be the team leader. They want to be the guy who calls the play, They want to be the person who who scores all the points because that's what they view as the most important role. But that's not how a team functions. And it's not how God has designed the church to function. Every role matters. If you are changing diapers in the nursery, if you are opening the door for someone, if you are wandering the building on the security team, Or if you are on the search committee helping us us figure out who our lead pastor might be. It doesn't matter. Every single role matters. And so just as a body can't survive only having hands or only having eyes, which would be creepy and weird. The church needs different people doing different things. I've been... Uh, doing youth ministry long enough to, ni- to know that not everyone is suited to help with junior high students. It takes a very special soul, in fact. But those who are should be helping. You know, I personally, I'm not a person gifted in mercy or compassion. I'm going to leave those types of things for people like my wife uh, who cries when people get eaten in Jurassic Park. I'm far more compassionate. You know, we can't buy into this lie that the only people who matter are those in leadership. This is a worldly concept, and it's not how the church should be. And so when we allow this type of mindset to come into the church, it, it, that's what, one of the things that causes division. Because then not only does the church have holes in it that we need to fill with people to help function as a team, but we have many other people who are fighting others for certain roles. When, as Paul puts it, the whole point of having these different roles is to have unity. So if you would, continue with me in verse 27, there in chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God is placed in the church, first of all, apostles, Second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now out of this section, I want to I just reread that, that very first verse. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you has your part of it. So sticking with the same illustration that we've been running with on a basketball team, you get five players on the court. Five players who each have their own task, who each have their own role. If one of these players decides, not only are they not going to do the role that they've been designated, that they are gifted in, but they decide to not participate at all, it greatly hinders what the team can accomplish as a whole. The team is essentially at that point down to four players. And I don't know if you've ever participated in something where you are outnumbered by the opponent. It's not fun. (laughs) But something we have to realize here in the church is that our opponent is not going to hold back. They aren't going to take it easy if we have people who prefer to just sit on the bench. In Ephesians chapter 6, I'll just read this. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? We aren't unifying as a church to take on something worldly. We are unifying to take on the things that are not of this world, which again are not going to hold back against us. They aren't going to have mercy. They are going to do whatever they possibly can to derail the church. And so if you would like a good book to read, maybe you're a person who likes to read, maybe you've already read it, there's a really great book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's an interesting book because he writes it from the unique perspective of a demon sending letters to his demon nephew. It sounds weird. I Trust me, it's a little weird beginning to read it. But the purpose of the book is to show us some of the lies that the enemies use to trick us. And so I want to read this one little section out of it for you. And so it says, the great thing is to prevent his doing anything, which he's referring, so this is, he's talking to his nephew about the human that his nephew is trying to corrupt. The great thing is to prevent his doing anything. As long as he does not convert it into action, it does not matter how much he thinks about this new repentance. Let the little brute wallow in it. Let him, if he has any bent that way, write a book about it. That as is often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds of the enemy, which is referring to God, plants in the human soul. Let him do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imagination and affections will harm us if we can keep it out of his will. As one of the humans has said, active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive ones are weakened. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able to ever act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. And so that last part, just one more time, because that's the important part here. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will be, ever be able to feel. Our enemy's desire, whatever you want to call it, demons, devil, whatever, his desire is for us to be passive people. People who never use the gifts that God has given us. A people who essentially decide to just step out of the game and sit on the bench. Because not only does this stunt the health and the growth of the church, but it makes it that much easier to drive those people away from God. James 2 says, In this same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. If we want to be a unified church, then it takes every single person to get off the bench and to use their gifts to help further the kingdom of God. This is how we gain momentum. This is how we push back our enemy, who is relentless in their desire to destroy us. Not only is this beneficial as a whole, but our participation in the body of Jesus strengthens our own personal faith as well. so if you would, we'll continue in our in 1 our Corinthians jog this morning. I know there's a lot of scripture, um, but we're going to jump over to chapter 14. If you jump over with me to chapter 14, um, we will come back to chapter 13 in a couple weeks. Um, but for now, the chapter 14 is speaking about similar things. Paul, again, is talking about gifts, and there's something important here that we need to see. And so he says there in chapter 14, Now, brothers and sisters... If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call or will get ready for battle, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? And so as I was reading this section, I was trying to think of, you know, an illustration to go along with this. And, you know, the only thing I could think of was a basketball one. And so we're going to continue with a theme for this morning. But maybe as you've watched a basketball game, or maybe you haven't, but at times you find these people, uh, these players, who are really good at dribbling. You know, I, I'm glad that Ethan is here this morning because so I'll pick on him a little bit. Uh, you know, Ethan is an, a, a great dribbler. He can do incredible things with the ball. But at times, there are players who what they do is sit there and dribble. And, dribble. and they dribble, and they dribble, and they dribble. And as a coach, you stand there and you say, what are you doing? <laughs> Please, accomplish something. You know, yes, it looks cool. Yes, you know, that is a cool skill. But you are accomplishing nothing for the team. Take it towards the who, pass the ball, do something, but standing there and dribbling is accomplishing nothing for us. And as as I read what Paul is saying here, I kind of get the same picture. He's saying, you know, you have amazing gifts, but if you are not using them to benefit the church, then it is accomplishing nothing. Nothing. You know, here he specifically talks about speaking in tongues, which is funny because could you imagine if someone was just standing there speaking in a different language, but nobody had an idea of what they were saying? That's awesome. But you aren't doing anything to benefit the church. And so, if we are going to use our gifts, if we are going to step into play, we have to make sure that our gifts that we are using are actually going to help in the long haul. And so it's funny, nowadays we have these tests. If you want to go online, you can look up spiritual gifts tests, and you can go through this, and you can find maybe some ideas of what your spiritual gifts might be. But Paul here in these passages doesn't say how they were able to determine what gifts people had. I'm assuming if someone randomly started speaking a different language, they had the gift of tongues. That was pretty easy. But not all are so easy to determine. But my assumption is that they were able to determine it by lots of trial and error, which also meant that there were some honest conversations that had to happen. Right? What this means is that at times... We have to be able to have honest conversations with someone. As a coach, you have to do this frequently. You know, as as I talked about in the beginning, you have that six-foot guy who is smashing the ball off the backboard trying to shoot threes. It's like, hey, bud, I need you to understand something. This is not your gifting, okay? We need you here. This is where you're gifted. This is what we need you to do, and we need to be able to have these conversations in the church as well to help people understand what their gifting is, what God has uh, called them to do. We need to be able to have conversations if we see them doing something that they are not gifted necessarily in. To walk alongside them and say, hey, I think God has something else for you. And so there are a couple questions this morning that that you need to be able to answer based off today's message. The first one the first thing that you should be able to answer is what is your gifting? We have to know what our gifting is. What special ability has God given us? What has he empowered us to do to further the kingdom of God? Now, if you've taken, we have like our growth track classes. uh, And if you've taken that, we have a spiritual gifts test. That's a part of that that might help you a little bit. Um, But if you haven't, Uh, Again, you can go online and look up spiritual gifts tests if you'd like to do that, but there are other ways as well because these tests haven't existed forever. One of the ways would be to talk with a mature Christian in your life to see if they can help give you an idea of what your gifting is. For me, uh, this is my wife. Sammy helps me see what my strengths are. She helps me see what my weaknesses are so I can better serve the church. And just as she helps me see my strengths and weaknesses, I know hers as well. And this comes into play in a d- number of different ways. You know, we take students on trips in the summer. Uh, and, and for me, when I pack, I try to pack light and only what I need, because I don't like carrying a bunch of stuff. But we were packing this one time, and I, and I looked over, and Sammy is putting all this extra stuff into her purse. She's sticking it into her bag. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you bringing all this stuff? And, she, you know, in her mind, she's like, well, I, you know, a student might need something. And I'm like, if they need something, that's their problem. <laughs> Again, the, the less compassionate side of me coming through. <laughs> but, she, you know, she put Band-Aids, extra deodorant, extra towels, all these different things she packed into this bag. And so we get to the church and we get on the road. And I kid you not, ten minutes into this drive... We have a student who needs something out of her purse. And again and again, she would look at me as soon as a student needed something and be like, Told you. (laughs) And by the end of the trip, every single extra thing that she brought, a student had probably used. But again, you see, Sammy is far more gifted in compassion, which allows her to greatly consider the needs of others. And so we understand each other's gifts, and what it allows us to do is to accomplish more in ministry because we have this complementary set of of gifts. And so that is what the church is designed to be as a whole. And so hopefully you have that person in your life, that person that you can go to and say, hey, what do you think I'm gifted in? What, What do you think, you know, that maybe God has given me to do? maybe you don't have that person. Maybe we can work on finding a person for you like that in your life. But just as I had talked about with, this, with what Paul was going through, I think another way that we can find out what our gifting is, is through trial and error. There is nothing wrong with trying to do something and then figuring out, you know what, I'm not gifted in this. The harder part is being able to admit that it's not your gifting. Because I can tell you right now, uh, that there is not a place in this church uh, that wouldn't be happy having more volunteers. Whether it's Brenda in the children's ministry, whether it's with me in the youth ministry, helping Nick back in the sound booth, uh, maybe you have some musical talent and you could help us on stage with our worship. Maybe you could serve on the, the security team with Charlie. Or maybe it's just something as simple as, hey, I'm a friendly face, I can open a door for someone and say Hi. But what we ask is please partner with us. Right? Our church's vision is to create Christ-like community one neighbor at a time. This is our desire to accomplish. This is what we view to be our mission in the kingdom of God. Help us achieve this. Help us further the kingdom and repel the enemy. Every single person sitting here today has a role. It is a different role, but it is an equally important one. And it will take all of us for this church to fully achieve what it can. In the student ministry right now, we are going through a series uh, uh, for our lessons, and it's called, If Not You, Then Who? And I think the purpose of that series fits well uh, here in this sermon. Right? We can't come here on a Sunday and hear about the work that God wants to accomplish through our church, to hear about the, our desire to go out into our communities and to love where we live. It's not okay for us to come here and to hear that and to think, you know what, it's okay, someone else will do it. It's okay. There are other people that will volunteer. Our desire is for be a church that doesn't just impact Whiting, but every single community that we have someone in our congregation a part of. And to do this, we need people who aren't going to wait for someone else to step up, but we need people with the initiative to find their gifting, to find their calling, and to put it use in the kingdom of God, to help our church reach its vision, its mission to help people find and follow Jesus. And so that's the question this morning. The two things you need to know, what are your gifting? How are you going to use it? Will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for your amazing intelligence and how you designed the church to function. That you didn't give us all the same role but know that there is beauty in variety. And so you have given us different gifts. You have given us different roles here to accomplish so that this church can go out and further your kingdom. Yes, we are not the largest church in the world, but that doesn't mean that we can't accomplish amazing things. And we are able to do that even more by every person who decides to step up off the bench and to get into the game. And so help us do that, God. Help us see where our gifts are and where they are not. Help us see where we can serve. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.